So um, last week, we, we found ourselves in Proverbs chapter 3. And in verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We discovered that we should not be impressed with our own wisdom. We need God's wisdom. And the start of true wisdom we discovered is the fear of the Lord. If the fear of the Lord is the start of wisdom, then the welcomed discipline of the Lord is the continuation of wisdom. Today's uh, message is titled, Correction Reroutes Direction. We're going to find ourselves again in the book of Proverbs in chapter 3, but we're going to start reading from verse 11. And, and, and while you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How do you view correction? No, no one likes correction, but how do you view correction? Most dislike and some even hate correction versus viewing correction as a benefit. So again, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. I'm reading out of the CSB this morning, and I'd ask that you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs 3, starting at verse 3, reads this way. Uh, starting at verse 11, excuse me. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Father, we thank you that for many of us, we have begun at that starting place of true wisdom, having the fear of the Lord. That's why we're here, Lord. But we ask that you would continue to do a work in us because we want to grow in our intimacy with you, with the knowledge of who you are, who we are in you, what you've called us to in this world. We need wisdom from you, God, and that is a continual wisdom that we desire, that we would continue to grow in that. So as we sit under your word this day, we ask, Father, that you would do a work, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive your truth, Lord. And we thank you knowing that your word never returns to you void, that it always accomplishes what you send it to do. So we are here with great anticipation of being fed this day. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 is, is a verse that 
almost all Christians are well acquainted with. It reads this way, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And that is a promise from God, and it is true. But often, it's read as a mantra instead of in the context that it should be read in. Because if you just go one verse above it to verse 10, it says this, For this is what the Lord says, when 70, years for, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. That, that, that changes things just a bit. And, and it starts to give us some insight to what verse 11 is truly speaking about. Verse 4 tells us, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles. I deported, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. He basically said to them in that verse, get comfortable. You're going to be here for a while. You're on a timeout. And, and, and once he put them in that situation, then he says to them, for I know the plans that I have for you. Um, when we are corrected, and in the midst of that correction, we normally look at that rod of correction with, with disdain. We're upset that we're being corrected and we take it out on the vehicle that is used for the correction. God knowing the tendencies of people and them being put in this situation, he says to them, I, I, I know the plans that I have for you. This is my declaration, he says, plans for your well-being and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in a sense, what's he, what he's saying to them is, I am bringing you here because I'm doing something in you that is necessary and is going to be beneficial in the long run. We see here that God removed them from the land that they were in by enemies, and they were brought into a foreign land. And he tells them, you're going to be here for a while. They were removed from their land. Israel, in view of land that they possessed and was given to them by the Lord, always viewed the land as a blessing. 
So, so when we think about the history of God and his people, when Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden, they were removed from a place. When Noah was in a boat, no one had land. When Abraham was called to go, he was being sent to a land that they would possess. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they were promised the land. When Joshua was, over, was going to take them over the, the Jordan River, they were going to start to, to have that promise walked out, given to them. And now they come to a place where it's taken from them. So, so this is a, a big deal. Is God with us? What is he doing? And, and in the midst of that correction and God saying to his people, I know exactly what I'm doing. You, you, you stay on this timeout. You let me work what I'm working in you. So we think about that for a minute. That's a long time out. If, 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 first off, if I'm going there and I'm 40, I, I'm never going to see home again. If, if I'm going there and I'm six, the first thing I'm thinking is, all I was doing is holding my parents' hand. Why am I going into this place? And, and I won't return till I'm 76. In the midst of all of that, God is at work. So, so when he says this, I know the plans I have for you, and we take that on ourselves as a promise, which is true, put it in its proper context, and actually it's a better promise, that all that you're going through and facing, God knows what he's doing, specifically when he brings the rod of correction. He has plans for your well-being not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. But we don't like that. That doesn't sit well. And there'll always be people to tell us something different. Verse 8 says this, For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let the prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. So there were others saying, you're not going to be here 70 years. Actually, when you go home, if you read the chapter before, Jeremiah chapter 28, it says that there were false prophets there saying, you're only going to be here two years. You're going to be restored back to where you were. And God's saying, don't, don't, don't listen to that. The question becomes, why is this happening? Why did God allow them to be exiled and, and taken into Babylon? It was because they wouldn't listen. 
God was going to get to their hearts. He, he was going to change them in the process that he was bringing them through. We're all about God changing us. But often what we're looking for is a shortcut. And these false prophets were giving them a shortcut. One thing I could tell you about life, there's no shortcuts. And Jeremiah was telling them how it really was. They weren't trying to hear that because that was not good news. Actually, the truth is always good news. Even if you don't like what's being said, I need to know the truth. Don't, don't lie to me and make me feel good for the moment because that is not beneficial. This is what else was said. You have said, this is verse 15, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says concerning the king sitting on David's throne and concerning all the people living in, the, in this city. That is concerning your brothers who did not go with you into exile. This is what the Lord of armies says. I'm about to send a sword famine and a plague against them and I will make them like rotten figs that are inedible because they are so bad I will pursue them with sword famine and plague I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth God had told the people submit to the discipline go into exile there were some that refused. This is what was going to happen to them. Hear this. God will fulfill his promise. But he will not fulfill your misreading of it. You better catch that. Because people want to open the Bible, claim promises that God didn't make, listen to all kind of things about what life is going to be, misinterpret what God says, and claim them to be promises of God. You're being lied to by someone or you're lying to yourself. God will fulfill his promises. Learn how to differentiate between God's promises that are in his word and his promises for you and things that are just part of the narrative in the Bible. Some of those things are truly promises for all of us. But he never promised you easy street. He said, I'll be with you. That, that I'm never going to leave you. He, he makes many promises in his word, and none of them will ever fail. But again, God will fulfill his promise, but he will not fulfill your misreading of it. So know his promises. Alan Parr said this, you cannot believe 
your way out of something you behaved your way into. That's good. When I read that, I was like, wow. You cannot believe your way out of something you behaved your way into. In other words, you know what you did. Now you're in this situation and you want to twist the Bible or God's promises and believe that no consequence is going to come your way because of what you did. And I'm just going to stand on that and believe it. Well, you just keep believing it. That's what happened with Israel. Jeremiah was telling them the truth. This is what's going to happen. Get comfortable. Start having kids. Start building. Matter of fact, pray for this place because that is as it prospers, you prosper. I don't want to hear that. No, but I, I know the plans that I have for you. Be willing to go through the process. You cannot live any way you want and then believe that no discipline is due. Matter of fact, you want discipline. It confirms that you are a child of God. You know what you don't want? You don't want God to take his hands off of you. That's what you don't want. Romans 1 speaks of God delivering some over to the desires of their heart. And what happens to them? They self-destruct. The minute God says, okay, that's what you want, you got it, and removes his hand of protection and his hand of grace and his hand of mercy, and you're out there alone doing what you want to do, it's a wrap. It, it's, it's over. You want discipline. You want correction. So let's go back to our text. Do not despise. Do not reject. Do not take lightly the Lord's instruction, my son. Do not loathe. Don't be upset with his discipline. Learn from your mistakes. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. If you are called a child of God, you want God's discipline and correction. Remember what the name of the sermon is, correction reroutes direction, right? We, we need to stay on track and we go off. So it's only through God's discipline, him allowing us to suffer certain consequence, which is his mercy for us to get back on track. It is good to be called the child of God. I was reading in John chapter 8, and I've read it before, but when I read it this time, I said, 
to my memory, this is the biggest back and forth that someone had with Jesus where he was letting them know who they are and they done lost their mind and they were talking crazy to Jesus. John chapter 8, starting at verse 30. Jesus had been talking and then it says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. They said, we are descendants of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we'll become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I've seen in the presence of the Father. So then, you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born, listen to what they're saying to Jesus, we weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you can't listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. This is the crazier part. The Jews responded to him. Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? What? When I read this back and forth, interaction, it just helped me recognize some refuse correction at all costs. 
and is detrimental to their souls. You know, when we're reading this text that, listen, the Word of God says, do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. When we are hearing that, we're like, yes, Lord, discipline me. I trust you. I know that that is good for me. The question becomes this. Where does God's discipline, where does God's discipline come from? Where does God's discipline come from? Can you see it? See, because all authority is given by God. Romans 13, starting at verse 1 and verse 2, it says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Hmm. So, this discipline you would be receiving from the Lord is not some lightning bolt where God is just speaking to you and you get to determine, yes, that's from the Lord and I'm going to obey. No. God places those in authority. So, what are these vehicles of authority? Parents like Brother Thomas spoke about on Friday, the government, I don't care who the president is, the church, institutions such as schools and workplaces. Why should those vehicles of authority Use that authority. Why should parents discipline? So that, that children learn before the consequences are greater. The reason you should listen to your parents, because if you don't listen to your parents, you're going to go and do other things, and a higher authority is going to come along, and they're not going to show love and kindness. And you will submit to their authority. You, you know that discipline comes from the Lord and that person is in a position to institute it because it's the governing bodies that God put over you. My neighbors aren't disciplined and my children, I am. So, so if he puts you in a place with a governing authority, that authority is from God. Now, there's misuse of authority. But the person that's placed in authority is going to have to deal with that with God. 
But what we do to justify disobedience is, nah, that ain't from the Lord. So, so, so that happens in all kinds of venues. Be careful when you say that's not from the Lord. How do people despise discipline? Like what the text says, they, they, they run away. Um, they, they jump bail, right? Oh, oh you, you're going in for a little while. Oh, no, I'm not. They, they um, leave churches. I'll build a new structure somewhere else. I was watching a documentary recently, and, and then I remembered when this stuff was taking place, and I was like, oh, man, I forgot about that. It was kids, like, preteens or young teens divorcing their parents. And, and, and the government, them going to court and getting a divorce from their parents. I remember one day uh, my son came home from school and said something like, the teacher said, if you spank me, that I could get in touch with this agency. I said, okay. Um, this is what I'm going to tell you. You go ahead and follow that teacher's advice. And what I would say is this. They're going to come and they're going to they're come and take you. I'm not fighting for you back. So where you go, that's where you be. I'm kind of sure all the benefits you have for being in the James house, and I started naming all these different programs he's in and the stuff we're paying for, you might not have that available to you. But once you make that decision, buddy, you go ahead with it because I'm not fighting to get you back. And he's kind of like a tough kid. He is, you know, that one tear just come down his face. I say, okay, I, I, think, I think the message hit home. People will try to set up a structure somewhere else. I, 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 how dare you tell me? I, I refuse to obey. That's, that's not good. What, what are the reasons for discipline anyway? It, it's to, to gain wisdom. The text tells us happy, joyful, blessed, considered fortunate, to be admired is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. Understanding and insight, learning from God's word, learning from life experiences. For she is more profitable than silver. And her, her revenue, her wages, her payoff is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Nothing you desire can equal her in value. The Bible tells us, in all you're getting, give wisdom. 
in, in all you're getting, get understanding. What are the reasons for discipline, growth, gaining and wisdom on what you should do and what you shouldn't do, the protection of others' guidelines to function safely? And who sets those guidelines? Your household sets those guidelines by your parents. The, the, the country sets those guidelines as laws are adopted and enforced. The church sets those guidelines by the word of God. The workplace sets those guidelines by policy. And, and then there's self-discipline. It's funny, though. People will follow employee discipline because their money is tied to it. People will follow school discipline because their education is tied to it. But church discipline that your soul is tied to? Oh, no, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'll have none of that. Be careful. Be careful. Questions to ask self. Lord, what are you teaching me here? When we have these different vehicles of discipline come in our lives, we need to ask ourselves, what are you teaching me here? Correction is not for us to take personally and then turn around and attack the rod of correction. That's what we do. Brother Thomas was talking about that. When, when, when our parents discipline us, and then we go away talking about, I can't stand them, I can't wait to get out of here. They're spending their energy on that instead of reflecting on what they've done and why correction has come and consider it to gain wisdom. And we do that. Another time I, I had same son. It, and this is the one that kind of like is the goody-goody. So I don't even want to tell you stories about the other one. I had a triple hernia operation. Just came out the hospital. I'm laying on the couch. When you have any kind of abdominal operation, that is painful. So... He must have been, I don't know, eight, nine, something like that. And I had to correct him about something. And he went upstairs in his room. Now, my sons are both black belts, so they've been in karate since they're little kids. And he didn't know my wife could hear him. And he said, I should punch him in his operation. <laughs> and my wife heard him. And my wife said, what? Please, please don't tell daddy. No, 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 no. We don't do that. I'm going to tell him right now. I couldn't do anything to him but talk. Hardly move. The point is, we get corrected, 
and we turn it around, now we have an attitude with the rod of correction that does not help us gain any wisdom, any insight, or develop any lesson learned from the experience we just had. And grown folk do that, not only an eight-year-old. The... Um, Instrument of correction is not the problem. Most of the time you are. Look what we just read about Israel and Babylon. God even uses enemies of his people to correct. Do you not think that he uses those in authority? And you cannot... Run away from home, right? That's one of the things that I, I'm running away from home. Now, my other son, one time he decided he was going to run away from home. As soon as he ran out the door, I just locked it. <laughs> my, wife started, my, my, my wife started crying. It was, it was snow outside. He ran to the end of the driveway and just like collapsed right there in the snow. She went out there to get him, not me. Go ahead. Where you going? <laughs> you cannot run away from home when your father owns the universe. When the earth is his footstool. Psalm 139 and verse 7 and 8 says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. It's like trying to hide from your parents under the bed. You, 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 you can't run. I remember um, my parents have eight kids, and I'm the oldest. And the second oldest, she was kind of a, a wild one. And she ran away from home. She was 12. Where's she going to go? How many options she got? We lived in Brooklyn. So she went to my grandmother's house. My grandmother lived like a mile away. So for like a 12-year-old, it's a pretty good distance for you to be going through the streets of Brooklyn. And um, obviously, my mother was very nervous. And then my grandmother called. I said, you know, Tanya, um, don't, don't kill her. She said, put her. Put her on the phone, Ma. Said, Cindy, come on home. It's going to be all right. And she, <laughs> and she went home. All I'm going to say is, no one else ever ran away from home. <laughs> when, when I left, as soon as I graduated high school, I left. But I didn't run away from home. And then I had to kind of Go back a couple of times when there were some bumps in the road. You didn't get your room back, but you got a meal and you got the couch. <laughs> when you fight against discipline, all you're doing is prolonging it and increasing it. Whatever my sister did, it just took longer for the discipline to come, and it built up, and it increased. And then she had to pay the price. 
So discipline yourself so others don't have to. But discipline, as we just read, has an educational proponent to it. Discipline has a healing aspect to it. Discipline gives wisdom. Correction, just choices. And like the title of the sermon, correction reroutes direction. We want comfort, but God is after transformation. He's changing us. You can come up, Pastor Angelo. Hebrews 12 says this. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had humans' fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit. Discipline is good so that we can share his holiness. He's changing us in that process. No discipline. None. Seems enjoyable at the time. But painful. It hurts. Later on, however, it yields. It profits. It benefits. It increases the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you go through That's one thing. But when you try going around, when you try to slip by, when you try to take shortcuts, there's no benefit from that. We all want to get to the end. Excuse me. want to get to the end. When God is not removing our circumstances, that means he's working on something in me. External factors working something out internally. That's why James tells us, consider it Great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We, we, we need that muscle built. It produces endurance. And let endurance take its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Hear that again. 
so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Discipline produces wisdom. That we would feel the full effect of what God is doing in our lives. That we would feel the expected end of his correction. Would you stand, family? You know, one day preaching is going to come to an end. I know what some of y'all are thinking, thank God. It's going to come to an end because there's nothing a human could say about God when you're standing in the presence of God. There will be an end to all of this. And when preaching comes to an end, what we're going to do is praise. Because that's never going to end. All that you may endure that we would receive from the Lord and we would have the joy even in our trials, recognizing that correction does something in our path, that pain, that God is doing something in us. He is making us fit for the kingdom. That's what he's doing. There are some things in life we just must go through. How you go through it matters. When you consider, do not despise the Lord's instruction, child. Do not loathe his discipline. Accept it. Cherish it. Learn from it. View it as this is God loving me. He's changing me through the trials. He's changing me through the chastisement. He's changing me, having me be uncomfortable in my sin. He's changing me. When, When you're uncomfortable in your sin, it is a sign that the Holy Spirit is working. When you don't have the Holy Spirit, you might feel a little guilty about what you do, but but it's not disturbing every part of you. That is the grace of God that's not allowing you to feel comfortable in your nonsense. Some things we just need to go through. He does not only see what he is doing, but what will be accomplished through what he is doing. God sees the end from the beginning. What you're going through, he he sees that, he cares, he knows, but he's concerned with what it's going to produce. 1 Peter 5 6 and 7 says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Father, we so thank you 
We thank you for your hand of discipline. Help us, Lord, to view it as an act of love because that's what it is. Lord, don't let us go. Don't leave us to our own devices, God. We can't make it without you, Lord. We need you. We need your love. We need your compassion. We need your discipline, oh God. And we thank you for it. If we never viewed it like that before, today we thank you for it. And those you've put in places to administer discipline, we pray that they would do it righteously, Lord. That they would do it hearing from you. We thank you, Lord. That the beginning of wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. We pray for that one here today. As hearing words of life that's doing something in their heart. Would you draw them, Lord? Would you have them to repent, fall to their knees, and ask you for forgiveness? Would you have them clearly see? At this cross behind me is a symbol of your love. That you came into your creation, lived the perfect life, hung on the cross and died for their sin. Went to the grave, rose again. And you are sitting at the right hand of your father right now, praying for that one and for us too. And because of your precious blood, they accept that free gift of grace. That they would be saved. That you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, oh God. Would you do that this day? For the rest of us, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our hearts this day. Help us to submit to discipline, Lord, to learn our lessons, to be transformed by your grace. We know, Lord, that we can be sure, we have a great confidence that the work that you've started in each and every one of us, you're bringing it to completion, you're working it out, you haven't left us, and you're going to bring it fully to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And for that, we're ever grateful. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.